Bring it in. Read option. Getting you ready for week 15 of the NFL season. And Scotty, we got a lot to talk about today, my friend, because it's not just getting ready for the, you know, this weekend's action, which is what we normally would do. We'd normally be like, all right, we're going to go through all the games and get you ready. And we're still going to do that. But a lot's happened in the last 24 hours and even since Sunday. Uh, the NFL has over 75 new COVID out, you know, cases. Uh, players are dropping onto the COVID reserve roster, you know, left and right here. Um, we had National Signing Day in the college football world yesterday, which, according to Bruce Feldman, was the craziest National Signing Day uh, that he's ever remembered in covering the sport for 25 years. Uh, we had our first firing of an NFL coach this year, not including jo uh, John Gruden, who was let go much earlier this season, but not necessarily due to football reasons. Um, and we even had a little bit of basketball history with Steph Curry breaking the all-time three-point record. So before we get into the games, we're going to run through a little bit uh, of all of this stuff. And um, as much as I don't want to necessarily talk about it, I think the most pressing issue and the thing that's slowly starting to become the most talked about aspect of the NFL right now is this COVID outbreak. Uh, it's gotten to the point now where Sporting News and several other websites are establishing COVID trackers to kind of keep everybody in the loop about who exactly is out. I feel like every time, like every time I go into Twitter, I have, I get notifications for Woj and for Schefter. And I have like six new Schefter tweets every time I open up Twitter. Uh, literally right before we started recording, you know, we knew Baker Mayfield was out. We knew that Kevin Stefanski was out. We knew that a bunch of the Browns were out and it looked like Case Keenum's going to be starting quarterback. Well, it's not actually going to be Case Keenum now because he just tested positive as well today, which means Nick Mullins is going to be starting on Saturday afternoon when they host the Raiders. Uh, it's affecting mm. the lines all over the place. So if you're going to be betting on any of these games, check the COVID track or wherever you can find it. Make sure you're up to date because I saw the Browns were favored earlier in the week by three and a half, even with Case Keenum. And now they're a one and a half point underdog. The Eagles are now touchdown favorite against Washington because the Washington football team has been decimated. Uh, it is all over the place. So uh, we're, we'll start with this COVID situation, Scotty. And we've already seen the NFL come out with stricter guidelines for the rest of the season. Very reminiscent uh, of kind of what all of last year was like. So before we yeah. kind of get into the impact of it, I do want to read off what these are um, effective immediately. This is from a press release from the NFL. All clubs will implement preventative measures that have proven effective, masking regardless of vaccination status, remote or outdoor meetings, uh, eliminating in-person meals, and no outside visitors while on team travel. So again, stuff that we dealt a lot with last year, there will still be fans, which is I guess an interesting way to look at, it, especially as the holidays are coming around. Um, where are you right now in terms of concern level for the remainder of the season? Because I think there's a very realistic chance that we hit a point now where um, maybe not games are getting canceled. I hope it doesn't get that bad, but this is the worst outbreak yeah. the NFL has dealt with, with COVID since 
the beginning of 2020 since COVID became a thing. So how, where's your Mm -hmm. panic meter at right now? Uh, Very high, uh, just based on number of people. I mean, there's only a handful of these uh, teams that have one or, or even three or, or fewer players on them uh, on the, on the COVID list. So um, that's pretty concerning. Number one, Uh, number two is I think you have to look at uh, how seriously contagious much more contagious the omicron variant is uh and i'm sure that has a part to play in it and then b is like and we've seen this throughout the season when there's even a a mini outbreak among uh one team the team that has played them then gets it and passes it on and on and on and now this is happening at a much larger scale because people are getting it quicker uh it's more contagious and the faster that people get it the faster it gets passed um, so it's, it's very concerning. It really is. Uh, I mean, look, there's, there's what is Washington that has 17 players on the team. Are they going to be able to field a team, a healthy enough team to play on Sunday? I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, the Browns are just, up to 20 in total. And I, and this was as of a couple of days ago, that's not including the additional five that just got announced by Schefter yeah. right before we started recording. So we're talking about 25 of the 52, 53 man roster. Uh, and, and they're obviously allowed to carry a couple extra players on the practice squad. Uh, but yeah, things aren't looking good, man. Yeah. And the dichotomy too, and this is classic NFL that we're going to go ahead and get our money by still letting fans and, and revenue, uh, from the games, uh, come into, uh, into our lap, uh, let fans worry about, uh, about their, uh, their person and, and, and their personal space uh and and uh health be damned for them uh as long as our players can can maintain some semblance of health and and have a 52 man roster at least 22 guys to put out there on the field for crying out loud um so classic nfl is is where i'll leave that because i could dive down that rabbit hole and get on a soapbox i i will refrain this time but on the field, it is concerning because, and again, not only do you have to worry about the health and safety of the players, there's players' families now that uh, that you have to worry about, and then their transmission, and all the the coaches who are obviously much in general much older than the uh, than the uh, than the players and, and health and and safety. I think of again uh, to cite Washington, like Ron Rivera survived cancer, like. Yeah. He's probably more susceptible to serious, uh, you know, transmission than anyone in in that organization. And so now, with twenty five guys on the on the roster, I'd be I'd be putting Ron Rivera in a, a box where yeah. nobody can touch him. He's going to be like the um, bubble so, boy from yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, right. You know, not so to that, not to, not mean, to make light of a serious situation, but yeah, you're right, man. I. It's easy as the world has opened up and become more uh, normal, quote unquote, to feel like, oh, we're past this. Right. And I think one of the big concerns, and this is a phrase that it gets used a lot in the, in the conversation we're going to have after this about, you know, the name, image and likeness and signing period. But the toothpaste was kind of put out of the tube, you know, and once it's out, you can't really put it back in. And now taking a look at where we stand uh, this season, it feels very, um, very HR, you know, heavy influence this. All right. Now we're all of a sudden we're going to amp up everything and we're going to get really strict again when it's like, 
a lot of this stuff you probably could have kept from the beginning um, when this new virus came out and you realize, oh, it's already in 77 countries and it took less than two weeks for that to happen. You know, maybe we should have adjusted then and not waited, you know, and, and if there's one thing we know about the NFL is they're not preemptive, right? They're not a proactive organization. They're not a proactive league. They never have been. And they're going to wait and see where it plays out because the NFL doesn't really have consequences, right? People, it, it's so big. It, and, and we use this a lot when we talked about it last year, when we talked about it over the summer, but the NFL is a little too big to fail, right? You know, it's a little, it's a little wall street in that regard. And, they know that and they know that until they absolutely have to, they're not going to get pushed or bullied into making decisions that yeah. might upset some in the public eye or might upset some people. Um, but even if it, it means doing the morally right thing now to predict that we were going to have an outbreak like this, I think is still surprising. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that regard, but you're right, man, this is, this is absolutely concerning. You know, we've talked all year about how close the NFL season is right now, right? Like how, how a few games and how Monday night is a prime example. The, the Cardinals going down to the Rams, all of a sudden that division's up for grabs again. And, and the Cardinals and, the, and home field, like the Cardinals aren't the number one team in the NFC anymore. It's the Packers because the Packers beat them and, and they have now that home field advantage. So it, this season can go in so many different directions. And I think, as again, putting aside the far more significant aspect of this, which is players, you know, safety and health, um, just looking at it from a football perspective, you don't want to see the number one team go down in the first round of the playoffs or, or maybe the number two because the first team gets by whatever, but you don't want to see massive upsets due to COVID. You know, like if, if we have a nine and seven type of season that the Giants had in 2011, you know, and a team goes on a run, you don't want it to be because half the teams they played to get there caught COVID. And now all of a sudden we're talking about the Colts are in the, you know, are, are in the Super Bowl because that that's would be a disservice to the fans, to the players, to everybody involved in the whole season because the NFL didn't do a good enough job with their protocols all year. We also had no way of predicting that there was going to be another variation that was going to be as transmittable as this. So, there has to be a certain level of benefit of the doubt that you give the NFL and, and the NFL PA and, and when they collectively bargained these rules and a lot of these um, guidelines and, and, and mandatory things. But just looking at it from a football perspective, you know, they made the, the Broncos start, you know, Kendall Hinton at quarterback, you know, a practice squad wide receiver mm -hmm. had to come and play quarterback in an NFL game. And the fact that we are going into week 15, we have four weeks left and we're talking about like, oh, wow, the Rams have 13 plus players out with COVID, including Odell Beckham Jr. and Jalen Ramsey. Right. And they had people who had tested COVID, tested, tested positive for COVID before the Monday night game and after, which means it's probably been going around that locker room with people not testing positive for it. Um, and then to your point, is this going to now spread to other teams? Is this now, or, or do the Cardinals have an extra element of concern because they just play them on Monday night and here are significant guys like Odell Beckham Jr. who might have had it at the time. Um, the trickle out is going to be uh, really important to focus on and to watch, but I think it's absolutely going to end up affecting how the rest of the season goes. So 
something to keep an eye on. And, and I think at this point, all we can do is, is hope for the best and, and hope that these, this updated, you know, mandates that the NFL sent out that we, you know, I read the tweet from Schefter um, and, and the press release from the NFL hope that that is enough to kind of curtail this, this spike. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I want to move on now to the news that broke overnight. Uh, if you have not heard, Urban Meyer got fired and not <laughs> a minute too soon. This could have happened. Uh, and 10 week minutes four. too late. Yeah, this could have <laughs> happened in week four and I would have understood it. This could have happened three weeks ago. I would have understand it. And uh, and obviously now here going into week 15, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I think what we learned about Urban Meyer is something that we've already known about Urban Meyer, which is the, the dude is a dick. You know, he's not a likable guy, uh, but he's oh. also had incredible success everywhere he's gone. And the college coach transitioning to the NFL paradox is so fascinating because the NFL is very protective, right? They're very protective of, of how they're perceived. And, and they took forever, you know, all of the spread offense, all that stuff that started at the high school level. But if you talk to anybody in the NFL, they would never admit that, right? Because then it's like, it, it's this arrogance that the NFL has. And it's why so many people around the league look down on college coaches. The fact that Cliff Kingsbury is having success, I can tell you right now, is pissing off a lot of people in the NFL. And Nick Saban failing, quote unquote, I don't think he was a failure. I think he never would have figured it out. But Nick Saban, quote unquote, failing uh, at, at Miami. Um, Chip Kelly, quote unquote, failing, even though he finished with an above 500 record and now Urban Meyer failing, you know, those are things that NFL people around the NFL are very happy that they have. It. They, they could not have been happier to say, like, yeah, see, college coach in the NFL, psh, get out of here. And the reality is it's like, it's just, it's no, like for some it'll work. Like Jim Harbaugh has an absurd record as an NFL head coach. It's like 44, 13 and one in his career as an NFL head coach. He was a great NFL head coach. He got an opportunity to go coach at Michigan. His, his alma mater to him was the pinnacle of coaching, and he went back and took it. But if Michigan had never come calling, if a Nick Saban was at Michigan, you know, and, and that job was never going to open up, you bet your ass Jim Harbaugh would still be coaching in the NFL. So this whole idea that college coaches can't coach, I, I do think is flawed. However, Urban Meyer is of that, you know, Bobby Petrino cut, which is like this dude is definitely not going to work in the NFL. And we were proven correct. I think even in the in the past five years, uh, the change in the college game. Uh, you know, there was such a level of difference in the way that college football is played. And I'm not talking about the speed and, and the the agility of the players and, and all of that that comes with the jump up to the professional level. I'm talking about style of play. I'm talking about athletic uh, ability, uh, albeit it developing while in college and then even further once you get into the pros. But that athletic ability is still there for many of these guys. And the style of play has, has become similar, more similar in college to the NFL than I think I've ever seen in my lifetime um, because I mean, look at in the NFL, uh, the, the uptick in mobile quarterbacks, guys, you can throw the ball pretty well and run. Uh, you've seen a lot of that in college uh, for a long time. 
especially over the last 15, 20 years. And now you're seeing it uh, be even more prevalent in the NFL. Speedy wide receivers who can take the top off, right? A guy like Devontae Smith is is someone I think of, but uh, had amazing success in college, obviously won the Heisman. Uh, really great in the NFL. Not a prototypical wide receiver body that you would expect in the NFL, right? But mm-hmm. super successful so far in his rookie year. Um, out of the backfield, guys catching the ball. You never saw that in college. You see it in the NFL now, and now you're starting to see it in college, right? So the the similarities between the game and the gap is closing a little bit more quickly than uh, I, I think over the last five years, even than um, than anyone expected. And so for for the idea that these these guys coaching in college now can't come in and step in and and be um, successful in that regard is is ignorant, I think. Uh, yeah, and and really really uh false uh, urban on the other hand is like the total old school guy who was like he could be just an absolutely legendary college coach terrible fit in the nfl i totally agree oh uh, he, he it was a disaster from day one and and i like a lot of what you were saying there too like football trickles up right like so many things in life you want to talk about trickle down economics you want to talk about trickle down and and there, there's a bunch of different ways you can apply that but football trickles up, right? Things start like analytic, like even analytics, uh, timeouts, going forward and fourth down, all that stuff happens mm-hmm. in high school. It all happened in high school. And then why did college then adapt to it? Well, the leashes get shorter and shorter. And we're seeing that happen more so in the NFL over the last few years as well. And it's something that's kind of been around college for probably the last decade is the leash for coaches gets shorter and shorter, right? So that time to quote unquote develop a quarterback get shorter and shorter you don't have three years like green bay did with aaron Rodgers. if you're a head coach you want the, the expectation is that you get three years max as a head coach unless you're urban meyer uh you're gonna get probably two to three years but we've even seen guys like steve wilkes get fired after one year for cliff kingsburg right like we we've seen guys get fired quickly freddie kitchens was a disaster i get it it was the right decision to move on from him it was a dumb emotional hire that the browns made And they moved on. They got Kevin Stefanski and they did a good job. But because that leash got shorter first in college, which is even harder to do. And we talked about this on Tuesday with Vito uh, about, you know, you get four years because four years is when you get a full recruiting cycle in and the team is your guys now, which the transfer portal will probably even make that leash even shorter. College coaches realize we need to adapt to what the high school kids are doing so that our quarterbacks can start playing sooner. Instead of waiting till he's a junior, you know, I was just listening to Joey Harrington on part of my take earlier. And, you know, he ah. didn't he didn't play until he was a junior. And then he ends up being a Heisman candidate and a, and a first round draft pick goes to the Lions. And then, you know, ultimately doesn't have a great career because the Lions are dumpster fire of an organization. But that waiting till you're a junior to get your first start, like with the exception of Alabama, where we saw it with Mac Jones, it's a lot more rare than, than what you would expect. The expectation is by a redshirt, redshirt freshman, your second year, Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, CJ Stroud, all those guys, you should be able to go in and ready to play. So what they did is they said, all right, well, we're going to make our playbook look similar, more similar to what the high school playbooks look like. And guess what? The same thing happened at the NFL, where if your rookie quarterback isn't good, well, you don't got the time to develop, and he better be coming in and starting as, as a rookie or as a second-year player 
and you're going to have to adapt your game to it. And eventually over time, and these aren't like overnight things that happen. It's not like one day they're like, all right, we're changing our whole playbook. It's over time. You start to pull little things, you know, just stuff like the read option game, the mobile quarterbacks that you were talking about. And, and I'll add to what you were talking about with, you know, players, the transition for players is easier now because of that, not just that quarterback, but guys like Justin Jefferson, right? Like, these guys have been training to try to get to the NFL since they were 12, 13, 14 years old. So athletically, it's not like back in the in the 70s and 80s where it's like they didn't even really know what like what true lifting and uh, ways to develop your body were like. Yeah. And unless you, you, you were an athletic freak of yeah. nature, then uh, then you weren't going to. And that's so much of what guys were. your potential. Yeah, yeah, it was that or you took steroids, you know, the Brian Bosworths of the world. Um, guys like that who, who bulked up using other methods, but this idea of like you, the, the training regimens that players had younger and younger is, is uh, allows them to be able to step in as a rookie and contribute right away. Uh, more so now than in past years, not to say that every rookie can come in and acclimate to that immediately. But when you have guys going to academies and working with specialists and cornerback coaches, when they're in high school as a, as a cornerback is, it makes it entirely different. Now, the urban side of this was was far more personality-driven uh, than I think it was X's and O's driven. Now, the one thing about this Urban Meyer thing is that it, it was clear from the get-go that he just wasn't interested. Like, it seems like he was so far checked out of being an NFL head coach. You know, like, I, I don't think yeah. I saw him smile once all year. Even in the games that they won, he didn't really seem to care. And that trickles down you know you can't you can't run an nfl locker room the same way you run a college locker room you know you might be able to get away with some of that shit when you're an 18 19 20 year old kid and and urban Meyer's your head coach and he's got this unbelievable track record but that story that came out about um the the coach or the kicker i i retweeted it yeah um josh yeah, lambo josh lambo who's a great yeah. great kicker this was um this came from an ESPN article, but the, the actual interview came from um, a local paper in Florida. It said Lambo said Meyer told him, hey, dipshit, make your fucking kicks and then kicked him in the leg. Lambo characterized the kick as a five out of 10, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and then told the Tampa Bay Times, he told Meyer, don't you ever fucking kick me again? Lambo said Meyer told him, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the fuck I want. You can't See, talk. You can't talk we talked to about that. Was that way. You can't. Yeah. We talked about that entitlement on, on Tuesday's pod. Right. And it was the same entitlement that you have as, as a manager uh, or the head coach in this case. And you walk into the room and treat your employees the way he did. It's the same entitlement. And he's had that his entire career and, and he thinks he's infallible. Um, so, you know, a good riddance. You know, I, I just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. He did the same shit at Ohio state and, and I'm tired of seeing it. So go away. Uh, here's, here's the one, the one thing I want to, I want to add about urban Meyer. We asked this a lot and it's funny because me working in the college sports media realm, when this happened, the question, like, Hey, so many people were like, this is a terrible idea. This is not going to work out with a slight bit of optimism of like, okay, but maybe it'll work. He's got enough guys in the league who love him and are very loyal to him, maybe, you know, he'll be able to figure something out. But for the most part, the overwhelming majority of people were like, this is a terrible idea. And NFL media people were like, 
kind of 50-50 with a little bit more on the optimistic side. But the one thing that was talked about a lot was people asking why, right? Why is Urban Meyer doing this, right? He's got a great job on the Fox set. And so many people responded with like the, the classic answer or the most used answer was he wants to see if he can go and win at the highest level. But from everything we've learned about this situation, that seems very far-fetched to me. It -hmm. seems very far-fetched that that was the reason Urban Meyer wanted to get back into coaching and to coach in in the NFL. Like this time last year, Jacksonville, you know, I think only had one win and it was clear they were going to be the number one pick in the draft. And we were talking about Jacksonville as like, of all the places you could go be a head coach, you know, from all these openings, that seems like it would be the best fit, right? You get all this cap money. I think they had like $75 million in cap space. You have the number one overall pick with a generational type quarterback coming in. Like that's the ideal place to go and take over. And yet everything we've seen out of Urban Meyer this year is the the antithesis of a coach who wants to go win at the highest level. He seemed lethargic. He seemed uninterested. He seemed like he really didn't care. And I think that's the biggest problem here, right? And that's why this, this question is going to be the thing in the back of my mind is I've heard so many people give their takes and talk about it, is we still don't know why did Urban Meyer do this in the first place? Because he has torched his reputation. He'll obviously never get a shot in the NFL again. But yeah. even like um, uh, Brett McMurphy, who used to work for The Athletic and ESPN, a bunch of places, he's with the Action Network now. Uh, we had him on our show today and he was talking about uh, he did a poll after the uh, the the Urban Meyer bar incident earlier this year, where he reached out to about 70 athletic directors in the FBS level, group of five and power five, and did an anonymous poll. Like, would you ever, cons- if you had an opening, would you consider hiring Urban Meyer? And it was about 80% said no. So there's still a 20%, but he said of that 20%, it was almost entirely low level group of five teams. So unless he's yeah. so unless he's going somewhere where he could compete for a championship, there's really no incentive for him to go back to college. So this just seems like a complete misfire. And, and honestly, I'm curious over the next month or so if we're going to get more information about just exactly how bad it was or a big athletic article about this is what the Urban Meyer experience was like, kind of detailing it, because I still for the life of me cannot figure out why he chose to do this. But. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think there's there's obviously we've seen sort of a trend uh, with some of these more old school guys like Gruden this year uh, and whatever the hell is going on behind the scenes in Washington and, and behind the closed doors in the NFL offices. But I think there's a, a deeper question about the, the toxic culture of, of uh, football uh, organizations professionally and even at the at the college level. Yeah. Um, but definitely in the, in the NFL, there's, there's probably, it, it's not a trend by accident, I think. And so there's gotta be something, something more. And I'm, I'm wondering too, uh, if we don't learn more about urban Myers past discretions, you know, there's a lot of people loyal to him, but you know, sometimes it only takes one, it just takes one. One break, right? One thing to happen for the floodgates to get lifted, you know, lifted open. And mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if, um, and we saw kind of a micro version of that with, um, you know, the stories, you know, the the assistant coaches' stories from over the weekend, um, and the Marvin Jones fight. But 
you know, now Josh Lambeau comes out and talks about it. And, and I'm wondering if maybe we see a little bit more of that with more of an overarching history because dating back to the Florida days, you know, it was well known that Urban Meyer was kind of a scumbag. And I'm curious if we get more of that. Um, sticking with the college thing before we take a break and uh, and get on to the picks and, and previewing this weekend's NFL games, which we actually have a really interesting slate of games and the COVID thing makes it slightly different, but I, I still think it's going to be a really good week of NFL games. Um, national signing day or the early national signing day was yesterday in college football, which uh, the fact that it's so close to the end of the season, the fact that they even made an early signing day uh, and, and changed the calendar has really affected a lot more of college football than I think the casual fan realizes. Uh, there, in fact, the uh, college football oversight committee is going through talking about maybe changing the schedule and the calendar as a whole, because a lot of people think that there's a correlation between, hey, we had 29 head coach head coaching changes in the FBS, um, you know, in the last three weeks maybe there's a correlation with the fact that you have to move on or hire a new coach. Or if you're a new, if you're coaching, you want to go somewhere else. You want to get it done as quickly as possible because you want to be there for the early signing period, which de facto has become the actual, you know, national signing day, more people sign than not. Um, but what made yesterday so wild was the number one slash number two recruit, depending on where you looked, Travis Hunter, who has been, you know, basically called the best cornerback prospect since Deion Sanders is going to be playing for Deion Sanders. And he's decided to go to Jackson state. And if you're not familiar with Jackson state, that is a historically back black college slash university HBCU. And uh, the Deion just finished his second season there. It is technically the FCS level. Um, and this made some crazy headlines because Travis Hunter was committed to Florida state. Now there were a, a lot long of long time for a while. <laughs> he's from that area. He's from the Tallahassee area. It, it, it's was very important to him to go and basically try to be the next Dion. And that obviously Florida state, that's where Dion went and, and played at his college ball at. Um, but there was a lot of talk like Georgia, Alabama, both. They, there was rumblings that he was going to decommit um, and flip to another school, but nobody saw Jackson state coming. Now, Part of what makes this interesting and what has caused riffles around college football is the fact, multiple things. A, Deion Sanders works for Barstool. And there was a lot of completely fabricated, you know, suggestions here that Barstool had paid him over a million dollars and Dave Portnoy was doing this all, which let's just be upfront here. It, there's no evidence to support this. Um, we actually had Big Cat on our channel today with Danny Canal and Dusty Dvorak, and it was very telling. He was like, we didn't even know that yesterday was signing day. He was like, that's how out of it we are. He's like, we're doing so many different things. We're in the middle of football season. We literally had no idea that yesterday was even signing day. Um, to think that there's a conspiracy that we had put together all this money and that Portnoy paid him out of pocket and all this stuff is absurd. Now, Barstool does have NIL deals with athletes that are quote unquote barstool athletes, but that's all been publicized all this time. So we would have heard yeah. about it if anything was, uh, you know, kind of weird about it. So that's one thing I just kind of wanted to get out and, and put out of the way, you know, again, barstool has their problems and however you feel about them, you feel about them, but they had nothing to do with this decision. However, there is an overriding sentiment here that because of Dion and his notoriety and his being such a polarizing figure, 
that there is an NIL aspect of this, that the financial side of it is what pulled him away from Florida State to now going to Jackson State. And I don't want to go on too much of a soapbox here and and, and complain and bitch about all this stuff. Um, and obviously, I want to get your thoughts on it, too, because there was a lot of other big things like Texas A&M has one of the greatest recruiting classes we've seen in the last decade um, and just has loaded up guys. Texas got a ton of awesome offensive linemen. I know your boys are are, are still in the top 10, right? Um, after yesterday, Seven, I think, was last Seven. I saw. Yeah. Penn State had a really good day. There's a lot of schools that had great days. Alabama continued as well. Clemson, not really a great day for them. But to say now that this whole situation and the main reason people are upset is because of the name image and likeness side of it. Right. So there's a lot of people kind of playing um, the, uh, the aftermath, right. The hindsight warrior who's saying, well, you see, this is what happens. NIL, man, they decommitted from Florida state. And I was going to Jackson, Jackson state. First of all, guys have been being paid and have been paid to flip schools for the better part of the last 20 years. And honestly, since well before then too. So this is not a new thing. The difference here is it's above board. And honestly, the biggest differentiator here, and the thing that I actually think is amazing, is the fact that this is a kid taking a risk, going to a lower level of football, giving light and shine to the HBCUs, which is an amazing thing, objectively. And it's still his decision at the end of the day. So whatever you think about it, you can fuck off. Like it's a kid. He wants to make his decision. And if you have an issue with a kid going out, finding a way to make money off of a name in an industry and in, in a sport like the NCAA and in college football that has withheld the ability for players to make money on, the, on their own, you're just looking for reasons to get pissed off about it. And, and there are people mm-hmm. I work with who are a lot more old fashioned and, and who I don't always agree with on a lot of things, though I respect them and typically have good arguments who we're looking at this as, a, as justification for why NIL and the transfer portal is a bad thing. And my argument to him is he and I were kind of, it was my buddy Ben Hartsock, who he and I were kind of going back and forth about it in the break was, A, why do you, like, why do you care? Like, I, I don't care if a kid's making money off of his name. And his argument is, well, it's going to completely change the dynamic. And now all these kids are going to be, you know, they're going to be making all this money. They're not going to have to listen the same way to coaches. They're not going to get the same out of it. And and so much of it to me, Scotty, I, I look at this and I just go, you don't know that. You think that's going to happen. Yeah, how could you possibly? Right? <laughs> and he was using a lot of like, we all you know, looked at this and were upset about this yesterday. It's like bullshit. A lot of people didn't care. A lot of people thought it was awesome. There's a there's a group of people who were upset about this yesterday and our video was phenomenal by the way (laughs) yeah and and this look this is not to say that there aren't unintended consequences to nil to the transfer portal to all that stuff my argument was we aren't going to know for another five to ten years whether or not this is a good or bad thing for college football and Mm -hmm. just because you know last year's a prime example two of the top three earners for nil were number one was bryce young number two was spencer rattler number three is dj uyunglele well, two and three had bad, <laughs> bad years, one of which is no longer playing at Oklahoma, right? Has, has changed schools and is now going to be the quarterback at South Carolina. So all of these private entities who want to invest in these young kids, get in on the ground floor with a $100,000 NIL deal or however much it might be, all of those kids uh, or all those companies, rather, who, who are making that investment, they're not going to like they're going to learn from this, too. So. 
we went from one extreme where no one could make any money and no one could transfer yeah. unless you had a very specific reason to now the exact opposite extreme where it is a little bit like open season. And do you know what happens? What happens when you, when you hold a water glass and you shake it around, right? Water inevitably finds its medium. It finds its middle. It comes back. And that's yeah. what we're going it, to see. It'll, here. Yeah. It'll market correct itself. Yeah. It's just, it's a completely new industry. Uh, of trade so like it's good it'll figure it out itself out <laughs> 100 150 and i understand that there's change and one of the things and i was having this conversation about honestly even bigger topics about the world and politics and all this other stuff with one of my, with one of my roommates the other day but one of the things and it's such a weird thing to bring up but there's a very small specific scene in wayne's world when uh dana carvey's talking to rob lowe and uh, Rob Lowe says to him, you know, we're thinking about making a change. And Dana Carvey looks at him, he goes, we fear change, which is a reference to Star Trek. And that is how I envision so many people's internal minds going whenever they hear this is Garth Algar from Wayne's World sitting there being like, things are changing. We, we fear change because people don't like change. People want things to say the same. And, and I got to give credit to Jason Horowitz, who's one of our hosts, who's a good friend of mine. And he said it best the other day. He goes, if we imagine if the last 150 years of college football didn't exist and we just decided 2021, we are starting college football for the first time. What are the rules that you would write about? Because it would be things like NIL. We wouldn't have this antiquated idea. The only reason we think about that is because so many people are so biased based off of the history and the tradition and all this bullshit that surrounds the pageantry, my, my least favorite word when people describe <laughs> college football, right? You know, like that is to me the way we need to think about this, which is like, forget the fucking history for a second. If you were starting college football today, how would you set it up? And do it like that. Yep. So, I don't know. That's my soapbox. Either way, National Signing Day, it is interesting. I do hope they adjust the calendar. Uh, there's talks of, like, maybe uh, an August signing day. There's talks of getting away with doing away with signing days altogether. And just whenever you want to commit, you can commit, which honestly I think actually kind of makes the most sense, if, if you're being honest. Because now we don't have to worry about, like, Notre Dame putting out the worst videos i've ever seen in my oh, life good lord did you see that i was dude? a kid from from uh from chantilly, chantilly. High here in, in yeah. virginia yeah right here in northern um, virginia dude that would that video was nauseating they and also think about this think about the guys that they made videos for but ended up not signing with them right like how many extra <laughs> of those like five minute long videos were they hired if you didn't see them they hired actors to basically be like and, well there was you're some not, media you're not people gonna, in there too yeah, because Smitty was in. I saw Jessica uh, Smetana in some of those. Yeah, well, and she also was a Notre Dame apologist. Yeah, and, right. and she, she I, I, <laughs> I even saw her tweet about it, being like, "I'm so proud of the team." I was like, "I'm sorry, I love her. I love her work. I think she's incredible and hilarious." You are so the biggest pair of rose-colored glasses I've ever seen in my entire life because they were atrocious. They were so cringeworthy <laughs> and terrible. And I don't know if she maybe she knew they were really bad and she was just kind of trolling people with that. But I don't know. Odds I, are, it, 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 they were so bad. It's like you're not going to want to go over the middle on this guy. Oh, did you hear about Tony? You know, big six four, and it's like, it's like 
girls that are like high school age, like sitting around like a high school track. And they're like with her little clique of friends. And she's like, I'm like, do you know what the 40 time really of who this guy it, like it was? And then it was like a random businesswoman. And of course they hit the rainbow where they were like, we're going to make sure you have the, the black lady in there and make sure you have the old guy, make sure you have the young girl because we're all fans here. But in reality, the only people that actually know about what these recruits like measurements are and their size and the weight and would even talk about that stuff are like middle-aged losers who are the same people who get fucking pissed off at recruits when they decommit and start yelling yeah. at a 17 year old kid. So yep. recruiting is a weird fucking thing, man. It's a weird thing to care about. It's a weird thing to get worked <laughs> up over. And for all we know, that kid from Chantilly, God bless him. I hope he has the best career ever may never end up seeing the fucking field. Isn't that the craziest part of recruiting is like everybody gets hyped up over And I can say this as a Penn Stater with uh, great experience is that everybody gets hyped up over these like four or five star guys. They do all this cool stuff and it means nothing. You got to coach them up still. (laughs) Yeah. You got to coach them up. Yeah. It it means absolutely nothing. You know, they do like Nash, they do like a national signing day. I mean, not national, but they do like a statewide signing day for middle school kids in like Georgia and Texas. For what high school they're gonna go to? Middle school. It's not like where where your address is. Like what district you? They just they just got they were just eating some (laughs) Captain Crunch and watching reruns of iCarly before they hopped on. But yeah, let's give that let's give that dude a national a a whole signing day to talk about where he's gonna go to high school, even though he's you know six years away from being done growing. It's ridiculous. All right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna preview the NFL games. Give you our picks and. We're going to wrap up the show with some FCS semifinal football talk. James Madison University, one last run. And they're in Fargo this weekend to take on the Bison as well as uh, South Dakota State and Montana State. So we'll get to all of that on the other side. Heading into week five of the NFL. Sorry, five. Jesus Christ. Week 15. Jeff, what is wrong with you? Uh, Week 15. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Deep down, I'm like, no, it's still week five, dude. It's still week five. We're good. We got, we got so much football. <laughs> we have plenty of football what are, left. What are you talking about, man? Um, yeah, week oh, 15. We do not. <laughs> we do not, if you uh, if you couldn't tell. Week 15, uh, we're going to give you our picks for the game. Uh, and again, we're going to talk a little FCS football to wrap up the show. But before we do that, uh, especially since we had Vito back, pick one game. And, of course, he went 1-0. and 1-0. I uh, wanted to update everybody on where we stood. So, Scotty, you went eight and six in the NFL last week. I went six and eight, uh, and we both hit on Navy winning, uh, not covering to cover the spread, but they also won outright, which I think we both hit on as well in our personal bets. Which brings us to nine and six for you this week, and seven and eight. So, Green Bay and the Rams. Thank you very much for those covers. That was big. And uh, kept me alive. So, well, not to say I'm, not, I'm still over 500. And that's honestly, I just want to finish the regular season above 500. That would that would make me feel really good. Um, so, to update everybody, college football, which we were talking in the break, we are going to pick bowl games, but we're going to start next week because all of the bowls that are coming up this weekend uh, are they just they suck. I'm sorry, the Bahamas Bowl, Boca Raton Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, we can just move past them. Liberty so, Bowl. Liberty Lending Bowl. Lending Tree Bowl. 
Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, when the first <laughs> Power Five team plays, then we'll get into uh, we'll get into our bowl. Uh, that'd be Oklahoma and Oregon, Jeff. There we go in the in the Holiday Bowl. When's that? Next week. I think that's next Wednesday. Get it all. Do you remember the uh, Do you remember the old commercials that ESPN would run with like the twelve days of Christmas playing in the background? But yeah, it was like the bowl games. Yeah, that was fun. What a time! What a nice little trip down memory lane. Short trip. <laughs> uh so college football regular season uh record for you scotty was 30 and 34 for, not bad not bad for Vito, 30 and 12 that's crazy you guys hmm. had the same amount of wins that's, that's funny wild um and for me it was 43 and 36 hey. now again only one of us picked games every single week and uh I'll let you guys figure who that was. Uh, NFL up to up and through week 14. Uh, Scotty, you are 91, 84, and one leading the pack right now with your NFL picks. Got a Mm. solid seven games above 500 in the NFL. I'll tell Uh, you what, Jeff, it has maybe not a whole lot of money. (laughs) Well, because yeah, I do this too. Like, I don't always bet the picks that I make here. Because things yeah. change, and I like I'm more of an in-game better. I like to kind of suss out like where we're mm-hmm. at in the game before I lay down some shekels. Uh, Vito, who was under 500 before this, that asshole comes in, picks one game, and now gets the 52, 52 and one. So he's dead at 500. But again, he missed six weeks of betting. So uh, there was a downstretch coming for Vito, and I think we all can agree on that. Uh, and then I am currently at 100, 103 and one. I've picked over 200 games in the NFL this year and uh, just slightly below 500, which brings our totals to Scotty, 121, 118, and one. Vito, 82, 64, and one. And for myself, 142, 139, and one. About to eclipse the 300 pick mark. And I'm still above 500. So I'm going to count that as a win. Big win. Big win. Now, week 15, not week five. Week 15 in the NFL. We're starting with Thursday Night Football, our weekly tradition where we get to seem like idiots on the pod, which honestly probably Uh happens a lot more often than we say. Uh, The Chiefs going to Los Angeles are three-point favorite. Uh, This is a massive game. There is only one game difference between here. The Chiefs currently... I've already lost the game to the Chargers. The Chargers win this game. They're in sole possession of the AFC West. A lot at stake, and they get to be at home, but we all know there's not much of a home environment for the Chargers. So where do you like this line at? Who are you going to lean on between the Chargers and the Chiefs? I'm going to lean Chargers. Um I know Rashawn Slater is out. He's one of the uh, one of those folks on the COVID list for the Chargers this week. But on the other side of the line is the best uh, defense, one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, uh, who would have been coming after Rashawn Slater uh, and and co uh, and and coming after Justin Herbert, and that is Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs. He is also on the COVID list. Um, I don't think that the Chiefs' offense is as good as they were in the two games against Vegas. They still haven't shown me enough. Um, 
and they they haven't scored 22 points against a team that isn't the Las Vegas Raiders, in fact, this season. Uh, Well, since October 17th, I should say. Uh, The Chargers' offense is looking really good. I mean, Justin Herbert was was uncorking it to to Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton last week. Imagine what it's like to have Keenan Allen and uh, and Mike Williams fully back. Um, Plus Austin Eckler, who's a little banged up. I still think that offense banged up is better than what the chiefs have put out there this year. Um, the only saving grace I think would be if the, uh, if the chiefs defense can create a couple of turnovers and keep them in the ball game, but the spread this close, uh, I'm, I'm going to favor the home team and the points, uh, truthfully, if I'm betting in this game and I'm going to take the chargers. I'm with you. I'm taking Kansas city or sorry, I'm taking LA and not only am I taking LA, but I'm taking them outright. Uh, I, I think this is a, a, an absolute win for for Kansas City or for for the Chargers, and and if I'm proven wrong again, now last week we both took the Raiders to cover the nine, and we were both proven wrong. And so you probably thinking, why are you guys being dumb? You should you know stick with Kansas City. It's only three points, right? How often do you get Kansas City on a three point line? Well. Yeah. In this run that the Chiefs are on, right? Supposed to six straight wins, Giants, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, Raiders again. Uh, the Cowboys was obviously impressive, but the Cowboys were really banged up in that game. People don't always remember there was uh, no Amari Cooper. Um, and, and I think CeeDee Lamb might have been out for that game as well. So you're missing their top two receiving targets. Uh, they had a banged up, basically, they were completely one dimensional. And on the opposite side, the Chiefs offense still wasn't doing a whole lot. Even last week, I get that the Chiefs defense, our offense looked better, but in this six-game winning well, streak, the, the Chiefs have put up 20 against the Giants, 13 against the Packers, uh, 19 against the Cowboys, and 22 against the Broncos, if you exclude the two 40-point wins that they had against the Raiders, which I'm kind of keeping aside here. All right, so I'm – not super confident that the Chiefs are going to be able to move the ball or put up a ton of points. So to me, it comes down to can 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 the Chargers, I keep screwing up the names here, but can the Chargers score more than like 25? Because I think if, if they yeah. get to that 25 or more mark, I think they'll beat Kansas City because I'm still not convinced that Kansas City is, is all of a sudden this great team. You know, the defense has been awesome, and I give them a ton of credit. But also, the seven points they held the Packers to, who was the quarterback in that game, Scotty? It was Jordan Love. Jordan Love, yeah. Right. They give up um, seven. They give up seventeen to the Giants, um, and, and they and they held up the Cowboys to nine. But again, the Cowboys, the Broncos, all of these teams that they played, like it's been nine points to the last three teams that they've played. But it's the Cowboys with their two best offensive players out. It's the Broncos who ha- are, have either been able to run the ball all over teams or not. Uh, and then you know it's it's the Raiders say which will again the rivalry well, the, the history the, going into this year and everything was out i think this is chargers i think the chargers yeah. are are making a statement here um and, and the way that herbert's playing like you said without the, the safety blanket of keenan allen it was really impressive last week and now you're going to get him back and mike williams back and and i think the way you beat kansas city this year is not through the ground it's through the yeah. air I agree. Like what the bills, like what the bills did to them earlier this year, putting up 38, like that's it. Yep. And on the, on the defense or offensive side of the ball for Kansas city too, the reason that they've played so well, and like, look, the teams that you mentioned that they were, they were close, low scoring games, the Packers, the, uh, the Broncos, the, the Cowboys, 
Those are teams with dynamic defenses, just kind of like the Chargers are. Uh, the reason they've put up so many yards and points in the last two games against oh. Vegas is Vegas has a, an interim head coach who plays single high safety, and that's it. Yeah. And they torched them on both sides I wouldn't both say, though, of the game. Yeah, but I wouldn't say the Chargers have a dynamic defense. If anything, I, th- I think this is a Chargers team that you can move the ball against. But Right, the way, but they're not the going to play single high all game. That's No, they're, they're going to do more like dive. They're, they're going to make it harder on Mahomes, and you're going to have Joey Bosa in there that, that's going to help kind of be disruptive. Maybe a little Melvin Ingram revenge game there for, for the, the Chiefs yeah. outside rusher. But other than that, you know, it, it's a lot of it's going to fall on Joey Bosa to generate pressure. Um, but again, the, the way that Kansas City wins this game, and it's the same thing that they did against the Raiders last week, because they have to run the ball. Like the Chiefs ran the ball last week against the Raiders, which is why they were able to to dominate that game because then all the short passes and and the intermediate stuff started to open up. And you can run the ball against the Chargers. But even like that, I go back to that Cincinnati game with the Chargers, right? Where it was like, why is Cincinnati not just running the ball down the throat of the Chargers with Joe Mixon? And they, for whatever reason, were very hesitant to do so. And when they did, they started getting a little bit more. But what I did notice in that game was that the Chargers seem to have made adjustments to play better defense against the run. And, and I think that they're continuing to do so. And it sounds crazy to say this, but I think the game plan to beat Kansas City this year is to try to make Mahomes beat you. Like, force Mahomes to be Mahomes. Because he hasn't been all year. And this might be the game that snaps back. Maybe they do it through the short passing games. And I'll say this now, I will stop doubting Kansas City if they win this game tonight. But no Chris Jones. I think the Chief, I think the Chargers offense is going to actually be able to move the ball. And, and I think some of this, oh my God, this Chiefs defense is incredible. It's not necessarily smoke and mirrors. But again, if you get over 25 points, I think that's going to be enough for them to win tonight. Um, Saturday, Raiders, Browns. A game I was excited for before all these COVID injuries. Um, right now, the Raiders are a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in Cleveland. We got Nick Mullins starting at quarterback for the Browns. Um, I would have taken the Browns with Case Keenum. Uh, it looks like Kareem Hunt's going to play. It looks like the fully healthy Nick Chubb. So this is going to be like, can the Raiders stop the Browns up front, right? Um, no Jedrick Wills, but other than that, the offensive line seems to be pretty much intact. They're still battling through some injuries for the Browns. Um, but Denzel Perryman leading the league in, sa- in tackles. I think he's over at like 140 something now after he was at 133 last week. I do kind of want to take the Raiders here because it's only one and a half and because of all the banged up. But my instinct right now is to take the Browns um, b- because I just think they're going to make this game ugly and messy and, the one area that's really not affected by COVID. Now there are four unnamed defensive players for the Browns who tested positive. So depending on who those guys are, it could be different, but the game plan is going to be simple. So you don't have to worry about Stefanski not being there calling plays. I'm kind of leaning towards Cleveland, even though they're completely decimated. Yeah. I think that's a smart pick, uh, especially at home, but I just, I don't know. The run game convinces me a little bit but uh i mean what was what was the game that dearness johnson came in and and rumbled all over the field it was the thursday night Uh, game against the broncos yeah and that was a good defensive front um man you've convinced me i'm gonna go browns as well 
I'm taking Cleveland. All right, we're both on the yeah. Brownies. Uh, a really interesting matchup and one that could be a potential playoff matchup. The Patriots and Colts both coming off of a bye week. This game is in Indianapolis. The Colts are a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Uh, I think this Vegas is telling us this is a pick and they're just giving the home field advantage. What I know about this game is that Bill Belichick is going to say, Jonathan Taylor, you're not beating us today. Carson Wentz, if we're losing, it's because of you. And if that happens, oof, uh, that might be a long day for the Colts, honestly. If, they, if, if Jonathan Taylor is able to successfully run against this Patriots team, then I will seriously consider the Colts as a, a legitimate contender. It'll be eight and six. Um, and Tennessee has a tough matchup this week that I think they could lose. So I'm going to take the Patriots here. Um, you're giving me points. I'm still not a full wholehearted believer in the Colts defense. I think, I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's great. The Patriots offensive line is awesome. Um, and, and the, the, the two weaknesses for the Colts is at safety and at linebacker. And um, I know Darius Leonard is there. Who's one of the best players, but they don't use him like your tradition. He's not a Mike linebacker. He's an edge rusher. He's an outside linebacker. They'll slide him inside when they need to. They use him all over the place. And unfortunately, that's not the kind of guy, like that's not the kind of structure you want at linebacker when you're going up against a team that's going to ground and pound you the way the Patriots are. You give me the two and a half of the Patriots. I'm taking the Pats here to win on the road in Indy. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Uh, because the the running game is going to be hard to to come by on both sides of of this matchup. I I think it's going to be tough for Indian or uh, Indianapolis to run. Although I, I'd give the edge to Jonathan Taylor there uh, ahead of Damien Harris, who may or may not play, and then uh, Ramondre Stevenson and and Brandon Bolden out of the backfield as well um, for the Patriots. So uh, this is going to be a game where the the quarterbacks are forced to to make uh, quality decisions and quality throws, and I think that edge. It's crazy to say because he's in his rookie year. I think that edge goes to Mac Jones. Uh, so uh, that plus the uh, the defensive front and the way that they've been hitting on all cylinders, especially in uh, in this last win streak, is enough for me. Uh, five and zero in their last five too against the spread uh, are the Patriots. So uh, I'm taking them. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun game, and you're also getting Belichick off of a bye. I like Frank Reich. Um, weirdly enough, I am kind of rooting for Carson Wentz still a little bit. Um, yeah, but I, I just think the Pats going to be too much. Those are our Saturday games, Raiders, Browns, Pats, Colts. Uh, and we're getting four out of five days. We're getting NFL football. How about that? Uh, Sunday game, Sunday, December 19th, Washington football team going to Philadelphia. Now Washington is one of the teams that is decimated with COVID all along their defensive front. Uh, their number two wide receiver is out. Um, their backup quarterback's out. So if anything happened to Heineke, uh, they're missing some guys on their offensive linemen. Um, this is a COVID thing that's not like isolated to just one position. This is a COVID outbreak that is affecting a lot of guys throughout the whole team on both sides of the ball. Um, Philly, Jalen Hurts was limited at practice, uh, but the Eagles are a seven-point favorite. And I would be really surprised if the Eagles win this game by you know seven or more points even with all the COVID stuff for Washington I just I don't trust the Eagles defense at all um and and especially when you're talking about point spread like to win the game I trust them enough to win the game I don't trust them enough to even Heineke with you know you still have Antonio Gibson you still have uh, Terry McLaurin there which McLaurin's gonna be lined up against Darius Slay so that's definitely gonna help the Eagles there and they're gonna force him to win in other ways 
but I don't see the Eagles covering a full touchdowns worth against the Washington football team. So I think this is a good bet. I think the Eagles win. So I would take Eagles money line, but I would take the Washington football team to cover the seven points. Uh, Dallas Goddard's going to have a monster day. Eagles plus seven. Dallas Goddard's so good. Number one in the NFL for tight ends and yards after the catch. Monster. I love that guy. Yep. Um, Panthers, Bills. Bills at home. The Panthers' only player to test positive for COVID is Chris McCaffrey, so not an issue for them. Uh, the Bills coming off of a, a heartbreaking loss. Uh, Josh Allen, similar to Jalen Hurts, he was limited to practice again today, but I'd imagine given where they are, we're going to see Josh Allen. And I would say the same thing about the Eagles, but it's probably more likely we see Gardner Minshew than it is um, we would see who's the bad uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky is the backup in Buffalo. So it's more likely we see Gardner Minshew than Mitch Trubisky. Um, but Buffalo's 10.5 point favorite here. Again, two teams that have uh, been able to kind of avoid the COVID bug. It's going to be cold, freezing temperatures in Buffalo. Uh, the Panthers are a team that have no identity at all. No idea who's even going to be playing quarterback. Sam Darnold was designated to return this week. I doubt he'll come in and play, but maybe he will. Either way, I think this is the Bills' uh, huge bounce-back game. I think they win by a couple of touchdowns and uh, and get themselves right back in it because I think they unlocked some stuff in that second half against Tampa Bay last week. Um, and I weirdly enough, I trust – I don't trust Josh Allen when they're considered a favorite, but I trust Josh Allen when their backs are up against the wall. So give me the Bills to cover the 10 and a half. Yeah, and with the banged-up secondary that Carolina has, uh, it's sort of similar to – uh, to what's going on in Tampa Bay right now. And even then, I think Tampa Bay is still a more talented secondary at this point in the season. The, what, what they unlocked, they, they got to go back to that well for the rest of the season because they are staring down the barrel of not making the playoffs in a, in a really crowded and wild AFC. So uh, this is a, almost feels like a must-win and a get-right in the same way. Um, I'm going to take Buffalo, too, because they, they just have too much weaponry. And... Carolina has scored 21 points only once in the last seven games. They're not doing it against Buffalo's defense. So make no. it once in the last eight games. So I'm taking Buffalo here. Yeah. And maybe even uh, this is a stretch bay defensive touchdown. I don't know if that's a prop you can get somewhere, but I feel like, it might I feel be. like Buffalo is going to get like a pick six or something in this one. I I'd know. take that. Uh, Arizona going to Detroit. The last time we saw Arizona play one of these really, really bad teams, it was Jacksonville, and uh, they were losing in the fourth quarter. Um, we also found out that DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the remainder of the regular season. Uh, Kyler Murray, the Cardinals' second half in that Monday night game, definitely looked better. Um, I think this is Arizona coming out and being like, hey, I know we don't have D-Hop, but we have so many other ways we can beat you. Um, and, and the Lions, you know, they fought back and uh, – had that big win a couple weeks ago, but the Lions are also one of the teams. Every time they get blown out, you know, they have kind of come back and played well the next game. Um, it's a little bit of, hey, let's shock the world here. This game's in Detroit. Um, Arizona's a 13-point favorite. Uh, I don't think you're going to, you know, be betting the, the Lions' money line here, but I do think you could uh, potentially at least, uh, you know, Look at this and back 13 points. Arizona's missing some guys, even though they've spent a lot. Um, I, I think Kyler Murray does enough here for them to win and win comfortably. But do the Lions come back with a late time touchdown to kind of 
ruin and, and ruin the, the, the game and ruin the spread there. I definitely could see that being a possibility as well. Where are you leaning here with Arizona being favored 13 on the road? I hate this line so much um, because it just makes me, and this is the definition of a trap game. Uh, so it makes me want to, to lean the other way. So um, I think you're right. I think Arizona comes out and, and does enough offensively. I don't think they have enough on the defensive side of the ball to uh, to to stop Amon Ra St. Brown. I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, no, I look, man, I, th- they're going to come after the quarterback. Panay Sewell is one of the highest-rated offensive linemen uh, in the game this year. So 13-and-a-half, um, I'll take Detroit just because he took Arizona. Well, I didn't say who I was going to take. I was just putting it out there. Uh, the line is 13. Um, but I'm going to take Arizona. I am going to take Arizona seven and zero on the road this year. Um, which for whatever reason, I remembered the, the green Bay, Arizona game being in Lambo. I don't know why that's where my brain went, but for whatever reason, that's where it went. Um, but I'm going to take the Cardinals here. Uh, I think it's a big bounce back and, uh, yeah, and I, I, the defense is still good. I just, I, you know, I don't know. The lines are probably going to backdoor cover and I'm going to get pissed about it. Uh, jets, dolphins, the first of Boy. two, the first of two, who cares, Bulls? Um, Miami's a 10-point <laughs> favorite in this game. Uh, the Dolphins riding that win streak five games in a row uh, from one and seven to six and seven, completely destroying that draft stock here. Uh, I think the, the Dolphins win, but do they cover 10, Scotty? Yeah. Uh, look, they've been hit hard with COVID, too. Um, They've got a number of, of players on the on the COVID list, not the least of which is their leading wide receiver now and Jalen Waddell. Um, not sure if he's vaccinated or not, if he has a chance to come back and play on, on Sunday. They may be getting Miles Gaskin back to, to lead them in the backfield. Otherwise, uh, they're kind of screwed there because Salvan Ahmed and, uh, and Philip Lindsay are both on the COVID list too. So um, I don't know. I think in the wide receiver room, if they stay healthy beyond – uh, Jalen Waddle, uh, they still got Devontae Parker coming back. Uh, they've got Mike Kosicki there. I, I think they'll be just fine uh, against the Jets defense, who is they played well-ish for a, a lot of the year, particularly against the pass. Uh, but I, I don't think that they they are in a, a spot in this season where where they're going to be motivated to play to win. Uh, I just I, I don't know why I'm going to take Miami in double digits, but I'll do it. Dolphins. I'm also going to take Miami. Uh, the secondary has played really well. The Jets have progressively gotten worse uh, and, and more so. It's been the way that they've looked in these games. Like the offense had a little bit of heart in that Eagles game to start, but then, you know, the second half came around and the, the, the Jets offense did nothing. You know, credit to the Eagles defense there and kind of game possession. Um, however, I will say this, and this might end up being my scratch off now that I just remembered this. Uh, no Miles Gaskin, no Philip Lindsay, the two running backs on the Dolphins. They do have Salah, uh, Savan Ahmed still on the Dolphins roster, but not really a whole lot of a running game. And, um, you know, the whole Will Fuller thing is getting weird. Um, but I'm going to stick with my pick. I'm going to take the Dolphins here. Um, actually, no, I'm changing it. Scratch off game. Here we go. Give me the Jets. Second week in a row, I've taken the Jets to cover. J-E-T-S. You suck. Um, that's called hedging folks. That's called <laughs> hedging. 
Um, the gambler's fallacy, as we talked about last week. Uh, Cowboys, Giants. The Cowboys are a 10.5-point favorite. Still doesn't look like we're going to get Danny Dimes back. Um, the Cowboys have been playing in some close, too close for comfort games, right? And this is a classic, ah, oh, throw the records out when these two teams play kind of game. Um, but if it's Mike Lennon and how bad that Giants defensive <laughs> or offensive line is, and you're going to get Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence and, and Mike, Micah Parsons coming down the barrel at you, um, that's not a spot you want to be in. The secondary is equally as bad. For the cow or for the Giants, and and I and I look at what I think those guys can do, and, and right now, you know, the Cowboys have one player, um, Nashawn Wright, who's like a third string, fourth string, um, why, uh, cornerback for them, and then the Giants, no Kadarius Tony, no John Ross, um, and, and they're missing a starting linebacker and uh, one of their cornerbacks as well from COVID. Uh, I'm going to take the Cowboys to cover the ten and a half here. Um, They've just been so ugly in some of these wins that it just feels like it's about we're getting to a point where it's going to be time. It's like, oh, yeah, the Cowboys are really good. And it might be a trap and we might all fall into it after this week. Like, oh, look at the Cowboys. They destroyed the crap out of the Giants. Um, but after a close win that they almost blew, I think the Cowboys are going to kind of get their shit together. And I'm going to take Dallas to cover. Yeah, that's nice. Um, but a double digit point spread in a December game is way too high. Uh, is particularly in a divisional game, particularly in an NFC divisional East divisional game. Um, Dallas is 10 and three overall against the spread. They're three and three straight up in their last six. They're three and three against the spread in their last six. They go below 500 in their last seven. It is the giants at 10 and a half. You're confident. You made that great speech about the giants against the chargers last week. I was this close too. damn it. Well, you aren't this close. The game was an absolute blow. They just, almost no. backdoor covered you i know that's what I. <laughs> that wasn't what you laid out though covers a cover man it was a great art it was a great speech i did love it um one of the better games on sunday titans and steelers uh tennessee is a one and a half point favorite on the road going to pittsburgh here uh the stillers I think have a really good chance to win this football game. And the line kind of been, you know, is indicative of that. It's only a one and a half point spread. Uh, Tennessee kind of floating by, right? They won last week. It was against Jacksonville. It's 20 to nothing. I will say the defense played really, really well. Um, will they be able to replicate that performance defensively against the Steelers? Now, for the Steelers, uh, I saw a really interesting stat. I think it was Dan Orlovsky put this out. Um, there's only two wide receivers to have five or more penalties against them this season. And it's uh, not Demarius Johnson. Uh, uh, well, why can't I think of the name? Help me, Scotty. Come on. Deontay Johnson. Come on. Deontay. <laughs> Jesus. It's the D name on the Steelers with the last name Johnson who plays wide receiver. You couldn't come up with that for me. Come on. Hang me out the drive. No. Uh, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. The only two wide receivers with five or more penalties, which feels pretty uncharacteristic for uh, a Mike Tomlin led team. But the offense, you know, like in in the game against Minnesota, right? Like all of a sudden they have all this life out of nowhere and they, and they go down and score. There's a chance that that ends up happening here. But I think Tennessee is still the better team, even without Derrick Henry still. Uh, Deontay Foreman has been really fun to watch um, as a replacement guy there filling in for 
uh, Derrick Henry. Um, the otherwise, I mean, Julio Jones alone made a pretty big impact on that game. And I'm not a fan of the Steelers defense. So I'm going to take Tennessee here to win this game and, and to go 10 and four here on the season. Steelers defense, <clears throat> not great. Uh, also, they won't have Bud Dupree, who I believe is also on the COVID list. He was supposed to come back this week. He was on the injured reserve return and now hit the COVID list. So um, no Bud Dupree, uh, which makes puts the defense back at, uh, at square zero, really. And uh, they haven't played well all year. Um, for, for the Titans, it's going to be all out in front of you because two of the – well, one of the uh, – the teams that you'll be uh, scoreboard watching a little bit will be playing on Saturday and uh, well, no two. And then the other one being the, uh, the chiefs that you'll be able to and chargers that you'll be able to see uh, what, what happened in that game tonight. So on Sunday uh, when, by the time their game rolls around, it'll be all right there in front of them. They'll know what they have to do and they need to win anyway, uh, just to, to, to stay afloat in the, uh, in the AFC playoff race. Um, Look, man, they they've I don't know how they're they're patching together this ship. Um I, I I don't know what to make of them really either. I mean, they've lost two of their four losses have been to the Jets and uh and uh who else terrible? The Texans. Um so I don't I don't really know. Um, uh, but I do know that uh they've got a guy on their roster who could come back and help them in a playoff run, and he happens to be the best running back in the league. Uh, so go in the football game, You're Titans for Tennessee. sure. Pittsburgh's one and five against the spread after a win. It's Tennessee. All right. Uh, Houston, Jacksonville. Jacksonville's oh, minus, minus three and a half. I'm going to take the team um, that just fired their head coach because players are going to be a little extra juiced up. So give me Jacksonville. Can I take a tie? Sure. <laughs> no. I mean, a, tie, a tie would mean that Houston covered, but. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Jacksonville, too. I think they rally around each other. Uh, James Robinson has a big day. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, has his, up. Trevor Lawrence has his best career day. Yeah. this game. Call 100%. And we're going right. to be like, oh, imagine that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Four o'clock window. Uh, and also Brian Devil is uh, is calling that game. I think it's whoever. Daryl Bevel. Yeah. Daryl Bevel. Thank you. I'm just my brain. We're getting to that point. Uh, Cincinnati and Denver kicking off the four o'clock window on Sunday. Uh, interesting game here. Denver is a two and a half point favorite. Um, this is Cincinnati all day. Take it, take it and run with it. Um, Cincinnati is an underdog. You're getting the two and a half here. Um, just, just go into your brain right away. Who, who's a better team? Like, who do you think the better yeah. team is? It's, it's very really clear. Good. And you're going to get two and a half on this too. Take Cincinnati. Really good record on the road as well. I'll take Cincinnati, especially the way they ended the game against uh, against the 49ers last week. Yeah, and another week of that. Pinky getting healed for for Joe Burrow. Um, and Cincinnati knows that the AFC North is there, so take it. Cincinnati's the pick. Um, Atlanta and San Francisco. Atlanta somehow still in the playoff conversation. The Niners, uh, another team with some COVID stuff going on, but nothing too drastic. Uh, the Falcons only have one guy on, uh, as of right now, out for COVID. Um, San Francisco's a nine point favorite though, which that line just seems really, really big. I think mm -hmm. it's accurate. I think it might be a little too big for my liking. Cause I think Atlanta can do some things to kind of keep them in this ball game. Um, I'll lead with you since it's your squad. Uh, does San Francisco cover the nine? Yeah. The weakness of, uh, of 
the 49ers defense is the secondary, but the good news is that Fred Warner is going to be one-on-one with Kyle Pitts all day. And there's not really anyone else to throw to besides uh, Russell Gage. So uh, that plus up front, I think they stuffed Mike Davis a little bit. Uh, The offense is playing well. And I don't think the Falcons defense has enough to stop Debo out of the backfield, George Kittle, et cetera, et cetera. Brandon, Ayuk's coming on, give me the Niners nine and a half. Um, San Francisco has not, blown out really anybody this year with the exception of that Rams game and the the Jags, which I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into for the most part, their games have been one possession. Um, you know, the bears, they beat by 11. So uh, can they do that to Atlanta? Um, it's gotta be a whole lot of Debo. And, um, and I think you're right. So my, my gut wants to just take the points and lay it safe. Cause Atlanta actually has been playing some good football over the last couple of weeks. Um, but the big problem for me with Atlanta is the defense and, you know, the fact that they let Carolina back into that game a couple of different times before they, the offense kind of was able to take it over um, is worrisome. And I think the biggest weakness with, with Atlanta's defense is that you can run on them. And, and I think the Niners are going to try to do that, work the short game. And I'll add this too: George Kittle has just been on another planet recently. Uh, Two straight games over 150 yards. Yeah, uh, as we say, the last two games, I think it's like it's something like eight, like 22 catches or something for like 300 yards and three touchdowns. Um, yeah. Just absolute monster numbers. And again, horrible matchup there for the Falcons. Gals Goddard um, ripped up the Falcons D early in the season. So I'm going to take San Francisco uh, to cover the nine as well. Uh, Seattle and the Rams. The Rams coming off of a huge Monday night win. Now, look, there's a lot in front of the Rams here. All of a sudden, yeah. the division, and maybe even if things really break, broke their way, the number one seed is all still in play here. This is a must win. It's tricky. This yeah. is a must it's win. It's tricky, though. Um, Seattle, you know, it looks like Russ is finally back. So I feel good. I feel like Seattle's a lot tougher than they've been over the last couple, over the last month, I would say, as they've looked good in the last two weeks. Um, but I think the Rams have figured something out. However, no Odell Beckham Jr., most likely. No Jalen Ramsey, most likely. But also, no DK Metcalf and no Tyler Lockett. So who is Seattle going to throw to? I have no freaking clue. The Rams are four-and-a-half-point favorite. Vito said it well, right? He said, Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford playing. I said, yep. He said, Aaron Donald's playing. I said, yep. He's like, give me the Rams. And that's what I'm going to do here. Four-and-a-half, give me the Rams. Yeah, I don't think you have to think twice about it. If they're too biggest offensive weapons uh, that aren't named Russell Wilson are not in the game, then I don't think they have a shot against even the second string defense of the Rams. That's how good they are. So I'll take the Rams too. I, I to me, this, this line should be closer to seven and a half. Um, I think they're giving the Seahawks respect because the last time the Seahawks played a divisional opponent was the Niners, right? And um, the Seahawks beat the crap out of the Niners. So um I wouldn't uh, look if the Seahawks win this game. I'm not going to say that I'm like, oh my God, what? But uh, considering the, the guys who are out for Seattle, DK, Tyler Lockett, um, which let me just, I, I don't want to be giving up misinformation. So let me just triple check that um, to make sure that Seattle is actually missing them. Cause I saw DK was trending earlier, but I might have had that confused. Um, going to Schefter's, going to the Schefter report here. Um, Let's see here. Tyler Lockett, Alex Collins are both on the uh, IR list. Okay, so it looks like uh, DK has not been added. So it looks like DK will be there, but no Tyler Lockett. 
So either way, doesn't change my pick. Still taking the Rams. Um, yeah. N- next up here, the last of the four o'clock window: Packers Ravens in Baltimore. This is a really fun matchup here. Uh, the Packers team not really affected too much by COVID, but we still don't know if we're going to see Lamar Jackson. Um, he has not been practicing all week. Uh, John Harbaugh called him a game time decision. Packers are a five and a half point favorite. The Ravens defense, I know there are some numbers that would lead you to believe that the Ravens defense is actually pretty good. Uh, they're decent against the run. Calais Campbell's having a monster year playing that interior defensive lineman role um, that he's done so well for, for so long. Um, but no Marlon Humphrey. They're down their number one, number two cornerbacks. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is going to have a field day in this game. And as soon as you realize, like, hey, Aaron Rodgers can throw it, then that's going to open up the run game. Uh, You're only, you know, five and a half, Green Bay, easy money, take Green Bay. Uh, And if you want to boost those odds even a little more, parlay that with the Rams four and a half. I think you got some uh, some good odds in your favor there. Give me the Packers um, to cover their five and a half. Yeah, I don't like that we're agreeing this much, but this game seems like the line should be way higher, truthfully. I, I, I Even if you do get Lamar Jackson back, and I think you will because this is a, a must-win game almost for them. You know, He's not going to be at 100%. And we saw what happened with uh, with Kyler Murray in that game against the Packers defense where they forced him to run the ball, and then he ended up getting injured. Lamar Jackson's already playing injured. I think it's the Packers all day long. Aaron Rodgers and is going to have an absolute yeah. monster day. And that's assuming that you know Lamar is even going to play. Like I think there's a really good chance we see yeah, Tyler right. Huntley in this game. Um <laughs> Because for better or for worse, I think the Ravens will end up making the playoffs either way. But whether or not he'll, you know, be in and be significant for them is is a whole other ball game. And I think, um, you know, if if you're going to make the playoffs, you want to make sure that Lamar is ready for the playoffs. You know, even if it is as a wild card. So uh, last game Sunday night, well, the last of of uh, the Sunday games, Sunday night Saints Bucks. I wonder if Drew Brees is going to be uh, – well, it's in Tampa Bay, but we'll, we'll still see plenty of Drew Brees. Um, Kamara's been a little banged up. I don't think he's on the list of people out with COVID. Um, no. no, he's Mark not. Mark Ingram is. But Mark Ingram is. So, uh, there, there, there you go. Um, 11 points right now. Tampa Bay's favorite at home. 6-0 and at home. They've done really well against the spread. Uh, they were dominating Buffalo last week before that. Uh, and before that little comeback there at the end and if Tampa the big difference right is like the Bills had a you know both defenses good New Orleans and Buffalo but the quarterback position is the big difference here right Um, Alvin Kamara can do a lot for you uh, but this isn't the Jets they're playing like they were last week right they got to go down and go up against arguably the best run defense in football Um, I think we're going to see a a, impassioned version of Levante David and Devin White and if Tampa Bay gets to a big lead, unlike Buffalo, where Josh Allen can kind of carry you and get you back into the game and, and make it close, the Saints don't really have anybody who can do that. Um, and and as, again, as much as Alvin Kamara has been awesome this year, he's not going to do an, he's not going to be able to be enough for them to to get them over. So uh, I'm going to take Tampa Bay to cover the 11 here and uh, in a blowout on Sunday night. Interesting. Uh, Sunday night's going to be a closer game than you think. New Orleans on defense is going to have Marshawn Lattimore all over Mike Evans again, continuing his dominance. And that's fine for the Tampa Bay offense because you have Chris Godwin, who's had two straight games over 100 yards, but has not found the end zone. Leonard Fournette limited at practice this week. 
I think Brady is going to have to dip into the well a little deeper than he usually does um, on offense for the Saints. It's about Gronk. running the ball. It's yeah, well, they got Gronk. It uh, on offense for the Saints. It's about running the ball uh, with Taysom Hill because that could not be stopped last week with Josh Allen on design quarterback runs. I think it's the Saints on the spread. All right. There's a, I, there's a lot of points there, so it's not a bad pick. Um, I think this is the Tom Brady MVP cementing game. National TV at home. This is Tom Brady being like, this is my, this is my fucking league. Just watch me. And uh, I think we see that here. 11-3 and three they would be if they win this game. Um, Monday night. Sucks that this game is on Monday night. Vikings and Bears. Who cares? How do the Bears get two primetime games in a row? How does that happen? No idea. Market, probably. One of the biggest markets in the country. I don't know. But even their fans don't even want to watch their team on national TV. Yeah. As long as Nagy's uh, the coach. <laughs> this is the Matt Nagy gets fired on Tuesday morning game. Um, Minnesota has. <laughs> I love that take. Minnesota has kept every single game close all year. Um, but this is going to be the, the second non-one possession game that they have. Because, again, through – through 13 games, 12 of them have been one possession games. And if you and I know I've been harping on this all year. And if you look at most teams, I would say the majority of them are one score games. But to have 12 of your 13 games be one possession games is an outlier. Like that is truly rare. Um, and, and again, it goes through hell. If this is like an ugly game both ways, like what if this game ends in a tie and then both Zimmer and Nagy got fired the next day? I would love that. That's the that is the dream scenario for this game. All right, I I like that scenario. Um, uh, but it is uh, minus three and a half for Minnesota on the road. Um, again, the COVID impact here is going to be big. Chicago has had, uh, I believe, Al, uh, Allen Robinson is on that list. Schefter just tweeted about it about an hour ago. Um, I can pull it up here. Scrolling, yep. scrolling. Um, why can't I find anybody here? Bueller, Bueller, killing time. There it is. Allen Robinson, Jesse James, Eddie Jackson, um, Joel Ewig. I'm not going to say the last name, linebacker. Um, and then Ryan Nail, Nall, and Isaiah Coulter. Those aren't as big as the first two, obviously. Allen Robinson, Jesse James, and Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson being out of the lineup is going to hurt, especially going up against Justin Jefferson and what looks to be like uh, Adam Thielen. He's still questionable. Um, to play this weekend, so we might see him as well. Regardless, I am taking uh, this the uh, the Vikings to, to win here. And honestly, I think they're going to win big. I think it's going to be a lot more than the three and a half. Um, yeah, I think they win comfortably. I, I think this is uh, one of those <clears throat> non-one-score games that the uh, that the Vikings end up having this season because uh, even with the with the depth of running back, uh, Alexander Madison is on the on the COVID list, but. The strength of the the Bears' defense has been the short game and the mid-range pass game uh, with that linebacking core that they have. Use Adam Thielen as a decoy and K.J. Osborne as a decoy. Take the top off with Justin Jefferson. You've been doing it over the last three weeks. Do it again. Let Dalvin eat because part of what he does best is uh, is north-south running. Um, and the Bears can get outside and stop you on the run, but they, they won't. They won't be able to stuff you up up front like they will. And you can get Dalvin out on screens too. I think it's a monster day on offense for the, uh, for the Vikings. I hope it is. And uh, uh, yeah, Vikings three and a half. All right. We are both on the same page. Um, and with that, 
I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk some FCS football, which means probably the majority of you listening are going to check out, but just hang around. I got a fun story for you. Um, and, and I think Scotty and I both as Scotty, who is a converted FCS fan, uh, and is even though he's a JMU fan and won't be an FCS fan for long, I think, I think I've converted him to an FCS fan for life, uh, after, after this run. So we'll get to all that, wrap up the show on the other side and get you off to a wonderful weekend of football ahead of you Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, NFL, some bowl games battered through and the FCS semifinals, all that on the other side. One last time. That has been the rallying cry for JMU fans as the Dukes are going through their final run through the FCS playoffs. Uh, I believe this is the fifth, fifth or sixth consecutive year the Dukes have made the playoffs and have fully cemented themselves as the number two program in the FCS behind the Bison of North Dakota State. Now, this rivalry has been going on back and forth uh, in semifinals and national championships as the two clear powerhouses for the better part of five, five, almost six years now. Uh, This is going to be a really, really fun game tomorrow night or tonight by the time you're listening to this Friday. Uh, JMU going to North Dakota, North Dakota, in North Dakota, in Fargo, playing at the Fargo Dome. Uh, one of the most electric atmospheres in all of college football. And no, that is not hyperbole. And no, that is not biased as someone who is an FCS fan. It is legitimately insane. It's about the size of your standard hockey or NBA arena. Um, except it gets so fucking loud in there. Like unbelievably loud in that stadium. And I'm, I'm telling you now, it is going to be an unreal atmosphere. It's on ESPN2, nationally televised game. Uh, and, and JMU, as they're getting ready to, to depart the FCS for the FBS, it's, they have to wait a couple of years before they're officially a part of the FBS. So no bowl uh, eligibility next year. And I believe for the first two years, but um, they have this stretch right now. And, and the one last time refers to, obviously this is the last time that JMU is going to be in the FCS. Now, JMU won the national title in 2004 and they won it again in 2016. At this point in the season, it seems pretty clear that the two best teams in, in the FCS are JMU and North Dakota State. And on the other side of the bracket, we have South Dakota State and Montana State. Uh, we were one. Sam Houston State went away from having the two semifinals being rematches of the last two national championship games. South Dakota State and Sam Houston State played in the spring during their national championship. And then JMU and North Dakota State played when Trey Lance uh, finished out his well, technically not his last game, but his last. Hey, I know season. that guy. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, when they beat JMU and Ben Danucci, the you know King Danucci there. Fuck that guy. God, I never liked rooting for Ben Danucci. Um, but this game's gonna be awesome. All right, and I I have a bunch of obviously story and a lot of history, and I have a lot invested in this game. But just objectively, you know, the FCS is really special. Like the the playoffs of the FCS is as entertaining as anything that we have in college football. And it's a huge reason why, and I was saying to this, this to you off air, like one of the things I love about my job and what I get to do is it's developed this love for the FBS for college football. Um, but I still have my roots set in the FCS. And so when we talk about college football playoff expansion and why these playoff games on home sites would be so special, it's because I've seen it, you know, I I've seen JMU go to the Fargo dome, right? So, North Dakota State's been playing there. They've played 31 games in the Fargo Dome since it was built. They are 30 and one 
And the only loss that North Dakota State has is against JMU. It was against JMU in the national semifinals. It was the 2016-2017 season, the year that JMU went on to win the national championship. So there's history here, but it doesn't just stop at that game, right? Because JMU and North Dakota State have played in two national championships. North Dakota State has come out on top in both of them. One was my senior year when I was covering the team, and they fell just a touch short. And the the next one was in 2019-2020 when Trey Lance and them beat uh, ben DiNucci. So there's this amazing rivalry. I've compared it to kind of like Clemson and, and Alabama, where we really only see this rivalry develop uh, in, in the college football playoff, right? They're not natural rivalries. But when we look at Clemson and Alabama, it's hard to argue that those two in that back and forth that we've had for the better part of the last decade, this year excluding, has been so much fun to follow. And then if you expand the playoff, all you're adding is just more of that, except now it would be Alabama having to go to Clemson to play a game, or it would be Clemson having to go to Bryant-Denny Stadium and, and, and playing in Tuscaloosa. And so when you add all of this in there and you realize the magnitude of what these playoffs are and how entertaining it is, it is so exciting. And it's made me really happy, um, as a, obviously as a friend and as a fan of the FCS, but a friend of yours, that you have fully bought into this FCS uh, playoffs and, and, and you've seen the beauty that I've been preaching now for the better part of the last five years. I love this. It's I, I've watched the better part of the, uh, I guess the quarterfinals. Uh, I watched fully the, uh, the North Dakota state Eastern Tennessee state game last Saturday before the army Navy game. I watched the, uh, the previous JMU game against Montana, which was the Friday night before I love this. I love the idea of the tournament style. I love the the home sites. Uh, it just seems to me, and and this is one of the one of the founded uh, uh, principles that I would advocate for in uh, in the uh, in FBS and Division One is why wouldn't you expand? Look how much parity has been created across the FCS. Look how many good teams are coming out of the woodwork and look at the teams in the bracket and tell me that uh, one of your favorite uh, college football teams or a team that you follow or care about uh, is, is not playing one of these FCS teams at any given point in the, uh, in the preseason. So for sure, uh, kudos to LA for Penn state played Villanova, for example, that was a tough, mm-hmm. tough game. I mean, we ended up winning in the fourth quarter because, you know, uh, but Villanova's sitting here in the quarterfinals of the of the SES tournament. So and and uh, and look, the one loss that JMU has this year was to Villanova. Like right. albeit the all-time leading scorer in FCS history, Ethan Racky, who's the kicker for JMU, missed two kicks from inside the 30, which you know would have won JMU the game. But regardless, the the quality of football that's being played at the FCS level, and something we were talking about earlier with how it has trickled up and how better prepared these guys are and guys who want to transfer and, and be able to play right away, they don't look at the FCS as that much of a downgrade. And all you have to do is watch the JMUs, the North Dakota States, the South Dakota States, right? Look at the prospects that have come out. I was telling you, I, I have a story for you. So I got um, a friend of ours, uh, of mine, I should say, from college, sent me a video um, of four years ago today from when we're recording this. Uh, on Thursday was the day that JMU hosted South Dakota state in the national semifinal, my senior year of college. And it was a video of the four of us, uh, you know, basically getting iced and we were putting down one of those orange cream ices. 
But what mm. I love, and, and so the story I have for you was, you know, I was covering the team all year. I had a press pass. I didn't get a ticket because I didn't need a ticket all year to go to any of the games because I had this press pass. So we're tailgating a little bit and I'm like, all right, well, I've been able to go and watch games from the, from, from the, um, the box up there, the press box. And uh, I didn't reserve a spot up there for that game because I knew it was going to be my last home game. I wanted to tailgate a little bit uh, and I was just going to use the press pass to get in. So I have the press pass around my neck. It's actually, you're, you guys at home are going to see it, but if you look, Scotty, right, right over there, I still have it hanging on my, uh, on my door. I get this press pass and we're all tailgating and we walk over from the tailgating lot down to the stadium and they all had tickets. So I said, all right, you guys go ahead. I'm going to use the press entrance and go through the security gate. And I'll meet you guys over there eventually. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to go hang out on the field a little bit because I could. I had a pass. I was allowed to. So I go in. The security people show them the pass. They're like, all right, come on in, just like normal. And I get to the tunnel where I'm able to go walk out onto the field. So I, I go ahead. I do. There's two cops standing there. I show my press pass. They let me out onto the field. And now I'm standing there on the goal line, right? And uh, South Dakota State's, the only touchdown they score the whole game happened to happen right in front of me. They're marching down the field, and Dallas Goddard, who goes on to be a Philadelphia Eagle, goes up and skies a one-handed, unbelievable touchdown catch in the back of the end zone right in front of me. And I love Dallas Goddard as a player. I'd been following him all year. I didn't know that he was going to be an Eagle, obviously. But after that play, I'm standing there for about 20 minutes. My friends had figured out, and they got their seats. And all of a sudden, two like JMU people come up to me, and they're like, um, who are you? And I'm like, oh, uh, I was like, I, I work for Kurt Dudley, who is the voice of JMU, right? So it's about the most obvious thing you could say, right? It, it would be like being on the field for an end, right. you know, for a Sunday night football <laughs> game. being like, Oh, yeah, I work for Al Michaels. You know, like it just is like it immediately smells kind of fishy. And they're like, um, yeah, who again, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I do a podcast, like I work for the school, like I have a press pass. And they're like, yeah, that's that's the regular season press pass. You don't have a, the right press pass. And I was like, uh, I was like, I, I don't. No one told me about this. I was just like, this is what I've been using all year. And they're like, you, you have to leave. Like, you can't be here. And these are students, by the way. So immediately, I get like a little confrontational because I had like maybe a drink or two in me, but I didn't want to be like drunk standing on the field. Um, but I had like a drink or two in me, and I was like, I was, I was like, I've done this before for other games. Like, what are you talking? And they're like, you don't have the right press pass. You're not allowed to be on the field. You're not even allowed to be back here. And I was like, you can text Kurt right now. Like I'm work from, and they like straight up just did not believe me. And uh, inevitably I'm like, all right, look, I'm not trying to cause shit, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll go. It's fine. Um, and I left and I went and joined my friends up in the stands, but I got a text about 10 minutes later from Kurt, because I guess those people had reached out and be like, who the hell is this person standing down on the field? And he was just like, he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to tell you that with ESPN being there and stuff, they gave out a separate press press pass for, the you know the semifinals so it ended up being okay but yeah i got kicked off the field during the fcs semifinal that was being broadcast on national television because i had the wrong press pass but i blame i blame the police officers that let me onto the field like, yeah yeah like, you how went did through they not several know? gates of control how did they not i went through the security the gate pass. i walked all throughout the bowels of the stadium i walked past two police officers who were guarding the field entry and they let me on and i later found out like my press pass was blue the color that like the new one was, was like a bright orange. So it's not even like, it's like, Oh, they just kind of looked at, no, it was like, they very easily could have stopped me and they probably should have. Um, anyway, 
long tangent. I just love that story. That's I find funny. It hilarious. Um, so it's then, your fault they lost because you were on the field when they scored. No, nope, they no nope, JMU went on. They destroyed them. They beat them by like thirty points. That's after you were off the field, though. Oh yes, no, it was my presence there was a negative impact on the team. Yeah, they were like, "Get this <laughs> fuckhead out of here." I think my, I think Mike Houston, who was the coach at the time, reached out and was like, "Hey, get this kid out of here." I had a great, I had a great relationship <laughs> with Mike Houston. He's a great guy. Um, anyway, I say all of this to say that like FCS football has a reputation and kind of a stigma to it that it's D1 AA or it's Division II. And it always bothers me because if you're around it, if you follow it closely, you know that that is just not what it is. It, it, it really is awesome. And I hope that the FBS follows suit and that the playoffs expand and will allow these games to be on home fields. Because right now, the only thing stopping that is these asshole commissioners and these asshole ADs who basically are just looking out for their own school and not necessarily the product as a whole, which it's like, the FCS is like, we just want to be on TV and our best chance of being on TV is by having games at home and also like neutral site, like they're not getting the best offers for neutral sites either. But like if the FCS semifinal was at like a neutral site bowl, like that would suck, you know? And, and the fact that you can have these games at home, you know, JMU kicking a game winner in, in 10 degrees at home against Weber State, you know, from 50 yards out is like one of the coolest memories I have as a fan. I was at a bar in Philadelphia watching that. I really? remember that distinctly. Yeah. That was 2019. That was the year they went on and lost to North Dakota state. So um, it's just a phenomenal product and I encourage everybody to watch it. But with all that being said, Scotty, let's make our picks. Uh, sure. We're going to start with the Saturday game. Cause we're not going to end with JMU and North Dakota state. We have South Dakota state and Montana state right now, South Dakota state who was in the national championship last year. They're 11 and three. Um, not quite as good as they've been in years past, but as a whole, probably the number three program in college uh, in the FCS behind JMU and North Dakota state uh, and Montana state, who has kind of been the Cinderella story. I mean, they beat the shit out of Sam Houston last year. Um, San Diego state's a, or San Diego, South Dakota state is a five and a half point favorite right now. Um, I'm leaning towards Montana state here to cover and to potentially even pull off the upset. Uh, I, I don't think people realize like, South Dakota State and a lot of teams like they've played a full season in the spring and have now played a full season in the fall. South Dakota State getting all the way to the national championship game and, and coming up short against Sam Houston um, and Montana State's playing as good a football as anybody. Fun fact, Ryan Leaf grew up as a diehard Montana State fan. Um, huh. And so he's actually filled me in on a bunch of that stuff. The Big Sky Conference out there is, is, is a very good conference as well. Um, I'm going to take Montana State to cover here, uh, the minus, uh, the plus five and a half, I should say. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting pick. I think this is going to be a close game, um, but uh, I think the difference is uh, is going to be South Dakota's running game. Pierre Strong Jr. has looked just so great all season long. Uh, he's had a great playoff run. Uh, I love the Cinderella story that Montana State has had. They've they're both of these guys are four out of their last five. Uh, getting hot at the right time, but the running game is the difference for me. It's uh, it's the Jackrabbits. Yeah, I love their program. I love their coach, uh, and I don't know if it's the same quarterback that was there last year. But again, South Dakota State is a fantastic program. Uh, this game is in uh, Bozeman, Montana, though. Montana State is the home team here because South Dakota State did not get one of the top uh, one of the top rankings. Um, all right, and that leads us to the game. We know who I'm going to take. Uh, especially because North Dakota State is a five-point favorite. Now, North Dakota State's a good team, very good team. Um, they're well-coached, no question about it. 
Um, and even I don't think JMU uh, is – I don't think JMU is the best team in the FCS. I really don't. I thought it was same Houston State, but same Houston State's gone. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of, uh, in my opinion, of the playoff format. Um, North Dakota State, five points. That environment is tough. They want revenge from JMU beating them in the Fargo Dome. And JMU wants revenge for the last two times they met in the national championship games. Both teams will come in with an extra chip on their shoulder, but only one is in their final run in the FCS playoffs. So I'll let you pick before I uh, I officially make my pick, but I'll give you the floor, yeah, my friend. I'll tell you what. I think we talk about how three, three and a half in most uh in most football games is kind of a pick them. And that's, uh, you know, just giving it the three points to the home team. I genuinely think that that five and a half is the, the home field advantage for, uh, for North Dakota state, that fire domes or Fargo domes going to be rocking. You're probably not wrong. Fargo dome is going to be absolutely rocking, but Cole Johnson is having a freaking year boys. 39 touchdowns to two interceptions. And the way that he's hooking up with Antoine Wells jr. They're going to be slinging the ball all over the pitch today or on, uh, on Saturday, it's Dukies all day long. Both road teams winning the games. I, uh, I am, I'm with you, man. I, I, I'll say this. I didn't think J and I'm exceptionally hard on JMU um, more. So I think they, they got lucky. The starting quarterback of Montana got hurt early. And then um, one of the best, I think the running back too for Montana got hurt or wide receiver, one of the best players for Montana. So they were missing arguably the two best players, um, which definitely helped JMU and and the defense is my biggest concern here, but North Dakota state's offense isn't what I'm worried about here. It's the defense. I, I think the North Dakota state offense and the JMU defense actually match up pretty well. I think that can kind of go either way, depending if JMU plays their best game, but Cole Johnson is, is definitely the difference maker. He's been the best quarterback in the FCS uh, and JMU has not just one, but two 1000 yard receivers this year. JMU can run the ball too with Palmer out of the back out of the backfield, but if JMU commits to throwing the football, uh, there there's nobody in. North, I mean, Antoine Wells Jr. is the best player in my opinion in all of uh, the F- FCS. Like he is just he is an FBS caliber receiver, like a guy who would play in, on bottom rung Power Five teams, like in Indiana, um, but is playing at the FCS level. And I think there's nobody in North Dakota state that can hang with them, which means Jamie's going to get a couple of touchdowns on some deep plays just by that talent gap alone. The difference is, is can JMU. And I guess the biggest factor is can JMU's defense ha- hold up against North Dakota state's offense, limit them. Um, and can they get the run game going? Uh, and, and I expect this to be a really tight game one way or the other. My brain is leaning towards North Dakota State. I'm not going to lie, but I'm never going to pick against my boys. So Madison, James Madison with the Dukes of JMU. Brighten your lights of Madison as part of our school song. Go Dukes, roll Dukes. And uh, like I said, one last time. That's the rally cry. Uh, That is all we got. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football. Get ready, Christmas. New Year's all right around the corner. And of course, from a sports perspective, that means bowl games, baby. Even though we didn't pick them this week, we will get into it next week. And we will have a full recap of a massive weekend in football with a lot at stake for a lot of teams. I'm thinking a little bit of chaos in the NFL this week. That's my prediction, Um, even though our picks would say otherwise. So for Scotty, I'm Jeff. We'll be back on Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend. As always, take it easy, everybody.